testimony. This is from Jessica, and this has to do with financial provision for her. It says, once again, I'm writing you because my dad tells me to. Laugh out loud, she says. Listen to this amazing testimony. She says, my dad was in his office doing taxes, and he called me in there. I went in, and he just looked at me and said, I know you're not tithing, and I don't know why, but you should be. (laughs) I said, well, I think about it and want to, but I budget everything, and it makes me scared, and I don't like messing with my money. And, oh, man, what was I thinking by saying my money? My dad started to talk very passionately, I might add, about how it's God's money and Scripture and testimonies, and on and on, because, you know, dads do that on and on, right? And all I could say was, you're right, I feel horrible. Good job, Dad. I know I should be doing it. I get it. He calmly said, then do it. And I tried to reiterate how scared of not being in control of my finances makes me. So, a few days later, I was thinking about it more, and I knew what I should do, even still scared. On Sunday, during the offering, I took my phone out and signed up online for tithes to come out automatically every week. That's a bold move. I have no idea what the announcements were because all I could think was, Lord, my dad made his point, and I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm scared, but he said, I can test you, Lord, so here it is. Here's the test. It's not done yet, but that's worthy of an amen. Crossing the chicken line, right? It's now been only two weeks, and well, of course, my dad was right. See, the thing is, last year I signed a legal agreement with the IRS about my student loan, and they, they keep my tax return for the next six years once you fill out that form. So, of course, to my shock, no shock to my dad, though, I got my tax refund this week. Amen. Six years early. How about that? Isn't that great? Oh, Mark is tagging along here. Let's see what. Church was awesome today, wasn't it? The presence of God, wonderful message. Oh, I just got to say, I know he says it all the time, but Pastor John was actually doing good preaching this morning. (laughs) I love seeing people give their lives to Jesus. That's what's most important, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I guess I was kind of grossed out, though, because right after service, I heard Sally, you know, Sally, talking about how important it was that Trump put up the wall and that she's all upset that he hasn't done it yet. I mean... What would Jesus think? Doesn't she even care about the refugees? Uh, I agree with her. I think it's a crisis and something needs to be done. Wow, seriously? Well, I mean, all those people. Don't you think that as a Christian we should care about the refugees and that we should have compassion on them like Jesus would and let them in? Well, I don't know what Jesus would do, but I know what I would do. Okay, well, wow, I'm kind of surprised, but... How about other stuff about President Trump, like the fact that he's a bully? Or, like, how could Christians even vote for him? I did. 
I think he's doing a great job. The economy is booming, ISIS is wiped out, and he even says Merry Christmas. Right, okay, well, oh right. Well, what about the environment? He's killing our planet. It's gonna burn anyway. I mean, do we, do we think we should really be dependent on foreign oil and supporting the people who just chant, death to America? Wow, you're unbelievable. What about our kids? Like, what kind of a planet are we leaving for them? I don't know, but with the way these pro-abortion people are, they're killing everybody anyways. Wow, okay, pro-abortion, huh? It's pro-choice, and I happen to be pro-choice. You are. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if conservatives keep trying to put more people on the bench, and they'll never overturn Roe v. Wade, but let's say they do, you still can't tell me what to do with my body. You're pro-choice, and you call yourself a Christian? But about what the Bible has to say about how our bodies belong to God, and he knew us before we were even born. You know, it sounds like that's just your interpretation. And you can't tell me what to do with my body. And you know what? As a Christian myself, I prayed about it, and God told me he's okay with it. Well, you might be hearing voices. But it's not God's, I can tell you that. You know, you're, you're like those godless Democrats. Wow, godless Democrats. How about those demonized Republicans that are always lying? Lies? I'll tell you who lies, Obama. Benghazi, keep your doctor, whatever. Wow, who are you? That's, wow. What about Trump? How about the collusion with the Russians? There's nothing there. The Mueller report, he's innocent. Always was, always will be. You know what? You should stop listening to fake news and maybe you should read your Bible a little more often. Wow, of course, okay. You know, I used to think you were a nice guy. I used to think you were a Christian, but wow, I don't even think we can be friends anymore. In fact, I think I might have to talk to Pastor John about this. Well, if he's a true man of God, he'll listen to me. What the heck, dude? You know something? You know, if I could walk away from you right now, I would. Yeah, so would I. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we help you? Yeah, what do you need? I told you to love one another the way I loved you. take the mic pack, but not the hairdo. I know some, first of all, thank you for that very well done skit, which is actually a very good reputation, representation. Unfortunately, of our current reality in our world. I want to contrast that with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the earthly tongues of angels, yet I did not express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy and a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, which we as charismatics pride ourselves on, 
and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith, our entire last series for the last three months, that I had this faith that could move mountains but have never learned how to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflates its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or offended or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. That is the description, clearly not of human love, but of agape. The supernatural love of God that is not humanly produced. It comes from heaven, enters into a human heart once someone gives their life to Jesus. He forgives us of all of our sins, breathes his spirit into our soul, the breath of life, and with that comes the supernatural agape of love. But just because it's in there doesn't mean it automatically comes out. We must partner with it through our obedience to love one another just as Jesus commanded us to. And once we do step out in obedience, obeying what Jesus said to do with everybody, that love kicks in and begins to flow out of us, and it becomes the kind of love that makes the world go, wow, you guys must be Jesus followers. But I fear in this climate that we live in that we as followers of Christ are being sucked down into the muck and the mire of human brokenness and what the Bible calls earthly and sensual wisdom, not the wisdom from above which says it's first peaceable and easy to be received. And so as we continue on in the series we launched last Sunday called What Does Love Look Like? We talked about last Sunday how this love we must tap into first, which is the love of God. Then we love God back, loving God back, 1 John 4, 19, and loving one another because God first loved us. But today we're going to look at the practicality of what this love looks like. I want to read a portion of this, 1 Corinthians 13, again. And I want to do it this way. The Bible says that God is love. And Jesus is God, therefore Jesus is love. I want us to read this passage and put Jesus' name in here, which is not being dishonest to the Scripture because Jesus is the Word and Jesus is love. So let's read it this way. Starting in verse... Well, whatever comes up. Jesus is large and in... Let me reverse it. I'm going to reverse it. See how this feels. Jesus is small and incredibly impatient. 
Jesus is harsh and consistently unkind to all. Jesus is jealous when other blessings come to someone else. Jesus brags about his own achievements and inflates his own importance. Jesus traffics in shame and disrespect, and he seeks his own honor. Jesus is easily irritated and quick to take offense. Jesus does not celebrate honesty, but delights in what's wrong. Jesus is not a safe place of shelter, and he does not believe the best for others. Jesus takes failure as defeat, and Jesus easily gives up. Now, that's silly, right? And even disrespectful to even read that about our Savior. And yet, what does Jesus say to us? John 13, 34, and 35. Let me give you a new commandment. Love one another in the same way I loved you. Love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. You see, we can't just put it all on Jesus. Jesus is putting it on us. He's saying the only way the world will see me is if they see me through you. And the way they will see me through you is through the agape love I have poured into your heart. In the midst of this divisive, hate-filled, angry world that we live in, if we categorize, ostracize, and demonize people based on their opposing viewpoints on whatever the matter might be, our love has grown cold. And Jesus said in the last days, love will grow cold. But it cannot be our love he's talking about, or there is no hope left in the world. Because the church is the hope of the world. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Jesus said so. Look what the scripture says about the end times. There will be more and more evil in the world. We are not going to grow into world peace except for when the Antichrist comes and there was a false world peace for three and a half years. Then he pronounces himself as God and then all hell breaks loose. This scripture, Jesus said this. There will be more and more evil in the world, so most people will stop showing their love for each other. But Jesus didn't do this. Jesus loved people, all people, even those who were opposed to him, called him a deceiver of the people, even accused him of being demon-possessed, even the ones nailing him to the cross. He loved them. And he says, be like me. I will put my love in your heart so it's possible. Shine like me. When you shine, I shine. Luke 15, 1, it says, By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation. That's a, that's a very light-hearted way to say it. Some translations say notorious sinners. These were not people that you had any doubt were wicked Evil, criminals, tax collectors, it says. In that day, they were some of the most evil. 
They would come into your house, take what Caesar wanted, and then they would rob you of the rest. They were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Wow! I preached a message one time called, uh, if sinners are attracted to Jesus, why aren't they attracted to us? Mark is going to teach in a couple of weeks on how, very practical ways of how, to end up being the kind of Christ follower where those of doubtful reputation will hang around you and listen intently to what you have to say. You have to wait two weeks. Between now and then, we'll just all be failures at it, but Mark's going to fix us in two weeks. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased. Not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Wow. Treating them like old friends. Democrats treating Republicans like old friends and vice versa. Pro-choice, pro-life, treating one another like old friends. Vaccinators and anti-vaccinators treating each other like old friends. We laugh, but this is really serious. This is really serious. It jeopardizes our call as the church if we don't get this right. Because Jesus went on, it says they were grumbling and it triggered this story. And the story was how Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. And he talks about leaving the 99 to go get the one. This is our calling as well. This is what we are supposed to be doing. And if we destroy our love bridges for the sake of politics and social issues and personal convictions, we will never save the world. Our calling is to represent Jesus to the world. It is not to win a battle unless it's over souls. We can win an argument and lose a relationship. You just blew up the bridge. There's no hope they'll come to Christ through you. What's more important? When you're faced with a difficult situation or difficult people, do you respond like Jesus? How are you, ask yourself that question, how are you doing with that right now? What do you allow to lead you? Hate, anger, fear, or love? When you're relating to other people in person or on social media, in emails or texts, or even when you're talking with your friends in the echo chamber, all those, the the ones that agree with everything you agree with, the way you talk about the other side, the other people, Are you reflecting Christ or not? And as I am pointing one finger at you, I'm pointing three back at me. This is about us not abandoning, aborting, sabotaging our divine calling from heaven because we've gotten sucked down into the mire of these temporal things.
We cannot be the people who allow hate, fear, and anger to be the forces that control the way we treat others. There are hate merchants on both sides of every issue. The church needs to be known as the love merchants. And this begins with respectful dialogue. Mark will drill down on respectful dialogue and how to do that and what that looks like in a couple of weeks. But I think we can get there from here if we truly want to live out Christ's call on our lives. The Holy Spirit will help us. There have been presidents, politicians, laws passed, policies implemented, curriculum taught in public schools that have made me angry, fearful for our kids in our country, and even grieved me to the point where I have wept. But whether you or I win the battle over our positions on the environment, morality, capitalism versus socialism, immigration, gun control, vaccinations, or even abortion, when it's all said and done, when the curtain is drawn, when this whole season of grace is over, and then there is heaven and hell, judgment day, in or out, we will realize that all these things were temporary. Do you know what is eternal? Not the environment. Jesus is going to burn it all and he's going to recreate it. Not abortion because there will be no more death in heaven. There will no be any more gay marriage issues because no one gets married in heaven, Jesus said. Nobody will need to be vaccinated or not vaccinated in heaven. It's all going to be over. All these things are temporary. Are they important? Oh, man, they're important. But are they eternal? What is eternal? Tell me, what do you think? What is eternal? Souls. 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 Do you know what else is eternal? Our love for God and for one another. That's all we take into heaven with us. Those that we have helped across the bridge to find Jesus... And our relationship of love with them and with God is what we bring to heaven with us. No money, no convictions, no political wins. None of that gets to go with us. Our destiny is to go from earth to heaven. People say, what's my destiny? To go to heaven or hell. But our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. And we do this through love. Your destiny is to go from the earth to heaven, but your assignment right now is to bring heaven to earth through agape love. Now, what is love? Is it permissive? No, love is not permissive. Now, this is what some would try to define love as. That you have to agree with me, you have to embrace what I believe, and you have to even celebrate who I am and what I believe for us to be in unity. No, that's called conformity. 
We are not called to conform, but we all are called to be in unity. And the way we do that, the best chance we have at that, is the way that we treat one another. Did you notice the end game that Jesus said on that phrase? This is my new command that you love one another as I have loved you. So that, the cause and effect, so that, what's the the effect? The cause is that we love one another the way Jesus loves us. So that, what's the effect? That the world may know. Do you think the point is for them to just know? Oh, you must be a Christ follower because the way you love one another. And then that's the end of the whole, the whole goal? Or is there, is there another step? What's the purpose of people seeing that we love one another like Jesus loved us? Say what? That they join the family of God. It's not so they go, oh, you guys are so much like Jesus. That's wonderful. It is, I'm attracted. I'm attracted to what you guys have. It draws them closer to our Savior. Maybe these other things are more important to you than the internal destiny of others. And that's a, that's a sincere question. Because if a person's soul and their eternal destiny is not as important to you as your personal convictions over some of these temporal issues, then you have lost what Jesus had, King David had, Abraham had, Moses had, and all the rest that went before us, and that is what's called the eternal perspective. This is what we are to be living by, the eternal perspective. Every time I'm in conversation with somebody, I don't care who it is and where it is, I'm thinking to myself in my mind all the time, this is a soul. This is an individual who is going to heaven or hell. And right now, in this conversation, the way I'm looking at them, the way I'm speaking to them, where the conversation is going, my demeanor, right now, I'm either going to help build a bridge or a barrier to them coming closer to Jesus. That is always on my mind. Because that's all that really matters in the end. I read an email sent to me online recently. And she said she used to go to church, and she was a Christian, but she just, this is a number of years ago, and it wasn't this church, and she said, I just could not connect. I just, the love, the, the kindness, and the patience, and the love, and the grace I needed wasn't there. She said, but I've met somebody, she said, this is going to shock you, she said, I met somebody, I just read this this week, I met somebody who was the kindest, sweetest, most loving person I've ever met. And they were a Satanist. She said, I have not adopted her religion, but she is the most loving person I met. Another family that used to go to church here, their son ended up in the Marines, went over and did a couple of tours of duty, and he changed from being a Christian to a Mormon because out of all the people in his 
platoon, the Mormon was the most loving, kind, patient, more filled with the fruit than any of the other people that were calling themselves Christians. Going out and partying and cussing and, and treating each other horribly and the way they behaved, he, kept, he was so attracted to the Mormon because of his Christ-likeness that he became a Mormon. I don't think we realize what impact we are having on people's destinies. Now I'm going to bring it all the way close, as close to home as we can get it right here at the Gathering Place Church. Did you know that in this very body, we have Democrats, Republicans, and Independents? Just look to your left like this, and look to your right like that. Already the fear and nervousness and distrust is rising. Did you know that in this very church, we have people who are very, very passionate about the environment, climate change, and global warming, and we have those who don't believe in it and really don't even care? I've had conversations with both, and believe you me, it's real. Did you know in this very church, you may not want to be part of this church when I'm done with this, by the way. In this very church, we have evolutionists and creationists. You might say, well, how could you have an evolution in a Christian church, evolutionist? We also have those who voted for Obama and those who voted for Trump right here, right now in this church. We have some here who are pro-life and some who are pro-choice. We have those who are open borders and those who are build the wall. We have people here today who support gay marriage and those who don't. We have those who embrace socialism and those who embrace capitalism. My question is, is the love love of God in our hearts bigger than all of that? Because if we can't demonstrate what it's like to love one another, even when we differ on these temporal issues, we have failed. The precious woman who was killed, throwing herself in front of her rabbi this last Saturday, at their funeral, her sister said, my sister was an avid Trump lover, loved him. And she said many of her friends and people in her own synagogue disagreed with her. And she said, her sister said, but my sister would not allow one relationship to be broken over that. Would not allow it. I interviewed my staff in preparation for this series. I interviewed the connect group leaders and the, and the children's pastor and the youth pastor and and Mark, and overall, all the leadership, and I just sat there with a pad, pad and paper and interviewed them. I said, what, what does love look like? And one of them said this, this conversation, not between me and her, this conversation is beginning to threaten our relationship, and I value our relationship more. She, used, she said that to a person where the conversation was getting heated, 
And when the exchange of ideas were beginning to deteriorate like you saw in this skit, she said, we got to stop. Our relationship's being threatened. And I care about our relationship more than this issue. If we allow our emotions over these issues to overtake us, control the way we relate to people, we will have abandoned and failed at the two most important things in the entire Bible, the GC and GC. Do you know what GC and GC are? The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. What is the Great Commission and the Great Commandment? Let's go back to basics, family of God. The Great Commandment, you shall love the Lord. Let's read this out loud. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, you remember when Jesus was asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus described one of the most unlovely, unwanted people, and the priest, and the Pharisee, and the scribe just walked by while the person was beat up and suffering on the ground. And then the Samaritan The dog, the spiritual dog to a Jewish mind is the only one who stopped and showed compassion. Visiting, you know, hospitals where AIDS victims are. Is it like, well, they got what they deserve anyway? Or do do you go down there and show mercy and kindness? Like my wife, who is an epidemiologist. She's a research scientist. She's going to be going to Africa. She just got her master's degree, by the way. Woo! Does she agree with behaviors, not the behavior, behaviors that produce AIDS? Absolutely not. Is she going to go to Africa two, three times a year to work with scientists on the ground to help stop the AIDS epidemic? Yes, she is in Jesus' mighty, precious, merciful name. You remember we read how these notorious sinners, these people of doubtful reputations hung out with Jesus and listened to him intently. What was it about him that so attracted them that they wanted to intently listen to what he had to say? Maybe it was mercy. Maybe it was a non-gentle, a non-judgmental, non-gentle, non-judgmental, non-superior attitude that God had toward all of us who were wrong. When it, we compare ourselves to him who is eternally right on every issue. And yet he never treats us harshly or mean, unless you're religious. Those are the only people that Jesus was harsh to, were those who were superior, judgmental, separatists. Jesus rebuked them harshly. You snakes, you whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside. Why? Because they were supposed to be leading the way in love, and they weren't. They were separating people and categorizing people, labeling people, and then ostracizing people, demonizing people. Like if somebody, if a sinner brushed up against their religious robe in public, they would burn it. The Great Commandment, Jesus, a Great Commission, Jesus under undeterred, went right ahead and gave this charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, making them by baptism, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, which is to love one another. 
And I'll be with you as you do this day after day right up to the end of the age. If we trade in the great commandment and the great commission for the temporal earthly issues and allow our anger and hatred and differences to be our identity and the expression of who we are and what we believe, we no longer are a bridge to help people come to Jesus, but a barrier hindering people from coming to Jesus. And we break down the body of Christ. Of course, unless they're coming to be, come to the Jesus made in our image, because you know Jesus is a Republican, right? And you know Jesus is against guns, right? I mean, he would be all for gun control, of course. And you do know Jesus wants the wall built. And you do know Jesus. We could go on and on and on and slap his name on it. Listen, what if somebody is wrong? What if you are closer? What if they are farther away from the biblical stand on something? First of all, how long did it take you to get to the place where you are? Boy, where I started, Lord have mercy, man. I was smoking dope. Wearing bandana, all ripped up jeans and foul mouth. After I gave my life to Jesus. And when people were trying to change me, it made me become more what I was. But as the Holy Spirit over time began to convict me about my sexual activity, about my, my smoking, and about my cussing, and about these other things, He is the sanctifier. Maybe they just are on a journey and they're along the path. And they're just not there yet. I was sitting at Starbucks with my sister and overheard a conversation. These two young 20-somethings talking about why they don't go to church anymore. Raised in the youth group. But when they graduated from high school, they popped out. And one girl said, I stopped going because I was out partying on Saturday nights because I got mixed up with the wrong groups because I never partied in high school. You know, I was part of the youth group. She said, but once I started hanging out with this group of people and I started partying, she goes, I felt like a hypocrite. Because I go to church on Sunday after I partied on Saturday night. And of course, as a pastor, I couldn't help but listen in. And at one point, I did the ugly and I injected, interjected myself into their conversation. I said, excuse me, I'm sorry. I couldn't help but overhear what you're saying. Could you explain to me again why you stopped going to church? And we got into a wonderful conversation. I'll tell you. I knew that my demeanor and the tone of my question and the actual question I asked was everything. The way I began the conversation was everything. She began to engage me, and we started talking about it. And then she said, oh, and because I'm bisexual, and so they kicked me out of the church. And, of course, you have to wonder what that really looked like when that actually happened. Who knows really what that looked like. But I'm going to take her her perception of, of what happened in the moment, right? And so then I said... Okay, let me ask you a question. And then she started talking about love. And I said, what does love look like? I said, for instance, okay, so the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. So if a Christian church decides that they're going to set aside what the Bible says to accommodate your belief and and embrace you, they now have become hypocrites because they call themselves Christians and yet They're not following the Bible. So what does love look like? And she looked at me. And the the look in our eyes, she she could feel there was no judgment coming from me. Who am I to judge her? I'm not got my own judgment day coming, right? None of us are judges. We're all sinners just getting to heaven by grace. 
we all have our own sin. We all have our own brokenness. And I'm thinking, I want to build a bridge and get her reconnected. And she said, I I don't know how to answer that question. See, she didn't come firing back with all of her answers because I wasn't firing accusations at her. We were having a conversation about a real, her condition and position. And they wouldn't be talking about this topic to begin with that I was eavesdropping on if they didn't really want to reconnect. Why are they talking about it? I'm going to come to a close in just a moment and we're going to receive communion together because in the Bible, Jesus actually teaches through the Apostle Paul that if we when we receive communion, you've heard it say that we have to, because they did not discern the body of Christ properly, they take communion in an unworthy manner, and we interpret that as, oh, I have personal sin in my life, I need to make sure that I'm clean before I take communion. That's not what that's saying. In that Corinthian church, there was class warfare going on. The rich would come sooner because the slaves and the poor, they had jobs, they couldn't get there sooner, and so the rich would come. They would eat everything, they would drink everything, they would actually get drunk. Then the poor would come and there'd be no food left. And there was schism in that church. There was division based on class warfare and economic status. And the Apostle Paul said, because you are dishonoring the body of Christ with your attitude and behavior, some of you are weak, are sick, and some of you even died because the judgment of God has come into that church. Wow! Come on. Man, maybe if we get this right, we'll have some healing popping out today. I don't know. Maybe some are weak, sick, and maybe some are like, have died because we are dishonoring the very people Jesus died for. That was a heavy word right there. This is how James says it. You ready? This is a a, a long passage, so just listen. Hang in there. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you cannot tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. Which our tongues... Listen. That was not anything against the Asians, okay? Listen. Or the Polynesians. That was not a racist statement. That was an unintended, look, it was not subliminal, subconscious racism. It was not. That was not a microaggression against Asians. Thank you, wanton. Thank you. She didn't want me to do it twice, so she is, she's like doing sign language and really slow. So right now she's writing out a little sign and she's holding it up really big. W. Wonton. The tongue runs wild. It's a killer. With our tongues, 
We bless God, our Father, and the same tongue we curse the very men and women He made in His image. Curses and blessing out of the same mouth, my friends, this can't go on. This is the Holy Spirit talking to us through Scripture. He wrote this. He's talking to us. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and then brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you've tried to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflown with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. Now here we go. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. That's the Bible. When we do not love one another, we lose these two things. We lose each other and we lose the world. And that's just too high of a price to pay. But the opposite is true. If we will love each other, we will save our relationships and we will have the best shot at Jesus saving the world through us. Question I want you to ask yourself as we prepare for communion. How do you interact with people who believe differently than you? Are you representing Jesus to them? Just close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to read this again. And I want you and the Holy Spirit to ask yourself this question. Because you're the bridge or you're not. How do you interact with people who believe differently than you? I'm going to stop just right there for just, I mean, you keep your eyes closed and you ask yourself, how do I interact with people who believe differently than me? Am I representing Jesus to them? If not, would you ask the Holy Spirit right now? Would you just repent right now where you are and say, oh, Lord God, this message was for me. And then ask Him to help you. Right now in your heart, ask Him to help you. You won't be compromising what you believe, but you will be showing kindness and love. Now commit to Jesus that no matter what, no matter what side of the aisle they are on, on any issue, 
that you are going to be respectful and honoring. Let's pass out communion, family, ushers. As they're passing out communion, I want to show you what this looks like. I'm going to show you a quick video. This week, I met, I had breakfast with a Methodist pastor who ordains homosexuals. It's a church here in RB that's split down the middle over Prop 8. I would never ordain, ordain a homosexual because I don't think the Bible allows me to. But I was having breakfast with him. To my right was a Catholic priest. To my left was a Presbyterian minister. To his left was another Catholic priest. Across from me was an Episcopal priest who serves in, in Poway, who also is on the opposite side that I am on on many issues. He had a sticker on that says, uh, no hate. And some of the positions I hold, he would define as hate because I hold biblical positions. And then the rabbi, a liberal rabbi who hates Trump, right next to me. I know so because we've been in a conversation. We were all having breakfast together. And we were laughing and we were crying. We exchanged phone numbers and I want to get together with each one of them. I have relationships with people in our city that are on opposite sides. I just got a phone call this week because they are, they are asking, and this is going to sound self-serving. Please forgive me. I'm just, the Bible says lead as an example. That's the, that's the job of a pastor is to be an example to the flock. It's the only reason I, I, I tell you plenty of my faults and my failures, so please let me, when I, when I ring the bell once in a while, I, I got to be able to say that too. I got a phone call. They were putting a handful of civic leaders together to do a panel. New date's going to be there. I got a phone call from one of the city leaders and saying, when the question came up of having somebody represent the faith community in North County Inland, your name was the first one that came up. Because we need to make sure we have someone we trust with the way they will present themselves and create unity, not division. I was so thankful. I was so thankful, so thankful that that's the way they view me. They know my, they know my positions on many things. They know them because I have a relationship with them. But they trust me in a public forum to represent our city. I want you to have the same reputation not compromising your convictions, but building bridges of love. So, this video I'm going to show you, it's only 30 seconds long, and we're going to receive communion. I got the phone call right after the shooting because I facilitate, uh, I help lead this network of uh, leaders, uh, faith leaders in in the community. So I got the phone call, what do we do? I immediately sent out an email to all the pastors, and we ended up about 25 of us having this conversation online about what do we do? And within two hours, we had the vigil already set that was held at RB Presbyterian Church that night. The shooting was on Saturday morning. That night, we had 1,000 people show up. The Jewish community came. The Muslim community came. The Christian community came. And what you'll see in this video 
was unity that is beyond our theology. Do I agree with everyone who was there in the theology? No, but I do agree with love. And what you will see is a Jewish community coming up to receive candles. And look what is right above them as these, these Jews are coming together in a Christian church. And look what is right above their head. Let's watch this quick 30-second video. You see that thing in the background? That's the pastor right there from RB Prez. That's Daniel Balcom, Pastor Living Way. She's an or, he, well, he, she is an ordained Episcopal priest. He's the Episcopal priest I had breakfast with. And look at, the, look at our Jewish brothers and sisters right under the cross in a Presbyterian church. I think Jesus likes that. Let's receive communion. Everybody got their juice and their bread? I need, uh, I need some elements. Josh and I need elements. You guys are sinning against the body of Christ by not giving Josh and I. I feel, I feel. I feel loved. You do? <laughs> As they're continuing to pass out the elements and they're going to bring it to us, would you check your heart before you receive this? I really believe miracles will flow. Maybe, you, maybe you've lost family relationships, relationships with friends, neighbors, church members over some of these temporal issues that you feel passionately about. That grieves the heart of God. Receive the forgiveness of Jesus right now. Ask him to fill your heart with his love, your mind with his wisdom. And then go back to these relationships. And as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. I'll put it over here. Oh, Josh and I are going to sit and have communion together. Ooh, I like this. Hey, well, I think our, I think our actor and actress has already left the stage. I would love for them to come up and receive communion together. But, but her leg hasn't been supernaturally healed yet, so she can't. Hey, Shane, will you come back down here? Come on. No, this is a good image. Oh, look at her come on down here. Look at this. You get on down here, girl. This is a really good image right here. Wouldn't that be something if you were both, look at these guys both hobbling down here. Would that be, would that be such a manifestation of the power of Jesus that they both got supernaturally healed taking this communion together? Oh, Lord, show off, do that. This is a great way to end this skit, very spontaneous way. Okay, this is, this is mine. Yes. You got any? You got one? Okay, Josh, you're out. All right, here we go.
since you guys are the ones that are so divided, you lead us in communion. It was the night before Jesus was about to give everything. And the folks that were sitting around the room, he picked up the bread and he said, every time you take this bread, eat this in remembrance of me. This is my body. So let us say thank you and celebrate that as we eat this together. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that there are a lot of ways and that you could have climbed down off of that cross, but you chose not to. You did that for us. And then he lifted the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you drink, this is my blood. Let us remember that as we take this cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, let your healing flow. Let your healing flow in this place, your salvation and deliverance. Let relationships be healed here and there. Let us be healing agents and merchants of love. In Jesus' name. I'm going to invite the prayer teams down. If you need miracles of any kind, come down front. And Jesus is still healing, saving, and delivering today. Come on down and let these prayer teams pray for you. That was well done. I think I'm going to let you do that more often. Yeah. Are you guys okay now? You guys better? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. All right. Now go and love one another as Jesus has loved you. God bless you. Spoke a word you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. For I took a breath been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, binds to
Now it was your fault, still you love fought for me.